Chapter thirty four of the Art of Travel. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Art of Travel by Sir Francis Galton. Chapter thirty four Caches and Depots. Caches. It is easy enough to choose a spot which you yourself shall again recognise, for digging a hole where stores of all kinds may be buried against your return. Neither is it difficult to choose one, so that you may indicate its position to others, or else leave it to a party who are travelling in concert to find it out for themselves. But excessive caution in the mode of depositing the stores is, in every case, required as hungry and feeding natives keep watch on all the movements of a party they follow their tracks and hunt over their old camping-places in search of anything there may be to pick up and hyenas wolves and wild dogs and all kinds of prowling animals guided by their sharp scent will soon scratch up any provisions that are buried carelessly or in such a way as to taint the earth the natives in ceylon when they wish to make a depot of game jerk it put the dry meat into the hollow of a tree fill up the reservoir with honey and plaster it over with clay some dried plants of m bourgue the botanist attached to captain pelliza's expedition to the rocky mountains remained underground for ten months without injury newly disturbed ground sinks when wetted if the cache be made in dry weather and the ground be simply levelled over it the first heavy rain will cause the earth to sink and will proclaim the hidden store to an observant eye soldiers in sacking a town find out hastily buried treasures by throwing a pailful of water over any suspected spot if the ground sinks it has surely been recently disturbed best place for a cache the best position to choose for a cache is in a sandy or gravelly soil on account of its dryness and the facility of digging old burrows or the gigantic but abandoned hills of white ants may be fought off if the stores are enclosed in cases of painted tin also clefts in rocks some things can be conveniently buried under water the place must be chosen under circumstances that omit of your effacing all signs of the ground having been disturbed. A good plan is to set up your tent and to dig a deep hole in the floor, depositing what you have to bury wrapped in an oilcloth in an earthen jar, or in a wooden vessel, according to what you are able to get. It must be secure against the attacks of the insects of the place. Avoid the use of skins for animals will smell and dig them out. Continue to inhabit the tent for at least a day, while stamping and smoothing down the soil at leisure. After this, change the position of the tent, shifting the tethering place or kraal of your cattle to where it stood. They will speedily efface any marks that may be left. Travellers often make their fires over the holes where their stores are buried, but natives are so accustomed to suspect fireplaces that this plan does not prove to be safe. During summer travel in countries pestered with gnats, a smoke fire for the horses 
that is a fire for keeping off flies made near the place will attract the horses and cause them to trample all about this is an excellent way of obliterating marks left about the cache hiding small things it is easy to make a small cache by bending down a young tree tying your bundle to the top and letting it spring up again a spruce tree gives excellent shelter to anything placed in its branches see also what is said on burying letters page 303 hiding large things large things as a wagon or boat must either be pushed into thick bushes or reeds and left to chance or they may be buried in a sand drift or in a sandy deposit by a river a small reedy island is a convenient place for such caches double caches some persons when they know that their intentions are suspected make two caches one with a few things buried in it and concealed with little care the other containing those that are really valuable and very artfully made thieves are sure to discover the first and are likely enough to omit a further search to find your store again you should have ascertained the distance and bearing by compass of the whole from some marked place as a tree about which you are sure not to be mistaken or from the centre of the place where your fire was made which is a mark that years will not entirely efface if there be anything in the ground itself to indicate the position of the hole you have made a clumsy cache it is not a bad plan after the things are buried and before the tent is removed to scratch a furrow a couple of inches deep and three or four feet long and picking up any bits of stick reeds or straw that may be found at hands lying upon the ground to place them end to end in it these will be easy enough to find again by making a cross furrow and when found will lead you straight above the depot they would never excite suspicion even if a native got hold of them for they would appear to have been dropped or blown on the ground by chance not seen and trampled in mr atkinson mentions an ingenious way by which the boundaries of valuable mining property are marked in the ural a modification of which might serve for indicating caches a trench is dug and filled with charcoal beets small and then covered over the charcoal lasts for ever and cannot be tampered with without leaving an unmistakable mark secreting jewels before going to a rich but imperfectly civilized country travellers sometimes bury jewels and bury them in their flesh they make a gash put the jewels in and allow the flesh to grow over them as it would over a bullet the operation is more sure to succeed if the jewels are put into a silver tube with round ends for silver does not irritate if the jewels are buried without the tube they must have no sharp edges the best place for burying them is in the left arm at the spot chosen for vaccination a traveller who was thus provided would always have a small capital to fall back upon though robbed of everything he wore a chain of gold is sometimes carried by arabs who sew it in dirty leather under their belt they cut off and sell a link at a time burton the gunstock 
is a good receptacle for small valuables. Unscrew the heel plate and bore recesses. Insert what you desire after wrapping it tightly in cloth and plugging it in. Then replace with the heel plate. Peel. Depositing letters. To direct attention to the place of deposit when you make a cache in an inhabited land for the use of a travelling party who you are ignorant of your purpose, there is of course some difficulty in ensuring that their attention should be directed to the place, but that the natives should have no clue to it. If you have means of gashing, painting or burning characters, something of this sort, see figure, they will explain themselves. Letter buried fifty yards N N E Savages, however, take such pains to efface any mark they may find left by white men, entertaining thoughts like those of Morgania in the Arabian Nights' tale of the forty thieves, that it would be most imprudent to trust a single mark. A relief party should therefore be provided with a branding iron and movable letters, and with paints, and they should mark the tree in many places. A couple of hours spent doing this would leave more marks than the desultory efforts of roving savages would be likely to efface. A good sign to show that Europeans have visited a spot is a saw mark. No savages use saws. It catches the eye directly. A system occasionally employed by Arctic expeditions of making a cache ten feet true north, and not magnetic north, from the cairn or mark deserves to be generally employed, at least with modifications. Let me therefore suggest that persons who find a cairn built of a tree marked so as to attract notice, and who are searching blindly in all directions for further clue, should invariably dig out and examine that particular spot. The notice deposited there may consist of no more than a single sentence, to indicate some distant point as the place where the longer letter is buried. I hope it will be understood that the precaution of always burying a notice ten feet true north of the kind mark is proposed as additional to and not in the place of other contrivances for giving information. There will often arise some doubt as to the exact point in the circumference of the kind or mark whence the ten feet measurement should be made. This is due to the irregularity of the bases of all such marks. Therefore, when searching for letters, a short trench running to the north will frequently have to be dug, and not a mere hole. I should propose that the short notice be punched or pricked on a thin sheet of lead, made by pouring two or three melted bullets on a flat stone and that the plate so made and inscribed should be rolled up and pushed into a hole bored or burnt through the head of a large tent peg. The peg could be driven deeply in the ground, quite out of sight, without disturbing the surrounding earth. It might even suffice to pick up a common stone and to scratch or paint upon it what you had to say, and to leave it on the ground, with its written face downwards, at the place in question. To secure buried letters from damp. They may be wrapped in waxed cloth or paper, if there be no fear of the ravages of insects. 
lead plate is far more safe it can be made easily enough by a traveller out of his bullets see lead a glass bowl with something that insects cannot eat such as lead plate sealing wax or clay put carefully over the cork or an earthen jar may be used the quill of a large feather will hold a long letter if it is written in very small handwriting and on thin paper and it will preserve it from the wet after the letter has been rolled up and inserted in the quill the open end of the latter may be squeezed flat between two stones heated sufficiently to soften the quill see horn but not so hot as to burn it and then for greater security against wet the ends of the quill should be twisted tight wax affords another easy means of closing the quill picture writing a very many excellent bushrangers are unable to read rude picture writing is often used by them especially in america the figure of a man with a spear or bow drawn as a child would draw stands for a savage one with a hat or gun for a european horses oxen and sheep are equally to be drawn lines represent numbers and arrowheads direction even without more conventional symbols a vast deal may be expressed by rude picture writing reconnoitring barren countries by help of porters and caches the distance to which an explorer can attain in barren countries depends on the number of days provisions that he can carry with him half of his load supports him on his way out the other half on his way home but if he start in company with a laden porter he may reserve his own store and supply both himself and the porter from the pack carried by the latter when half of this is consumed the other half may be divided into two equal portions the one is retained by the porter who makes his way back to the camp consuming it as he goes and the other is cached for the sustenance of the traveller on his return journey this being arranged the traveller can start from the cache with his own load of provisions untouched just as he would have started from the camp if he had had no porter to assist him it is evident a process of this description might be frequently repeated that a large party of porters might start and by a system of successive subdivisions they could enable the traveller to reach a position many days journey distant from his camp with his own load of provisions and with other food placed in a succession of caches for the supply of his wants all the way home again the principle by which this may be effected without waste is to send back at each successive step the smallest detachment content to travel alone and to do this as soon as one half of their load of food has been consumed by the whole party then the other half is to be divided into two portions one consisting of rations to supply the detachment back to the previous cache whence their journey home has been provided for the other portion to be buried to supply rations for the remainder of the party when they shall have returned either altogether or else in separate and successive detachments back to the previous cache whence their journey home has also been provided for 
an inspection of the table which I annex makes details unnecessary. The dotted lines show how the porters who first return may be dispatched afresh as relief parties. I give in the table a schedule of the three most important cases. In these the regular supply of two meals per diem and a morning and an afternoon journey are supposed. I wrote a paper on this subject in the Royal Geographical Society's Proceedings, Volume 2, to which I refer to those who care to inquire further into the matter. Causes where each man or horse carries a number of rations intermediate to those specified in the table are perhaps too complicated for use without much previous practice. It would be easy for a leader to satisfy himself that he was making no mistake and to drill his men to any one of the tabulated cases by painting a row of sticks fifty yards apart to represent the successive halting places of his intended journey and by making his men go through a sham rehearsal of what they would severally have to do then each man's duties could be written down in a schedule and all possibility of mistake be avoided the table represents the proceedings of four men or horses and men who leave camp two turn back at p one one more turns back at p two and the remaining man pushes on to p three food has been cached for him both at p two and p one but to make matters doubly sure a relief party, as shown by the dotted line, can be sent to meet him at P2. In case A, each man carries one and a half days ration. In case B, each man or horse carries three and a half days rations for himself and drivers. In case C, each man or horse carries five and a half days rations for himself and drivers. We will take the case C as an example. The figures that refer to it are in the lines adjacent to the letter C in the table. They are those in the uppermost line, and also those in the line up the left-hand side of the diagram, and they stand for days journey and for days respectively. P1 is reached after one and a half days travel, P2 after three days p3 after six days from camp the entire party might consist of five men two carts one a very light one and four horses together with one saddle and bridle the heavier cart and two men and two horses would turn back at p1 one of the two horses of the second cart would be saddled and ridden back by a third man from p2 and finally the remaining cart, single horse, and two men would turn back after six days from P3. The relief party would originally consist of the first cart and three horses. On arriving at P1, a horse and man would be sent back. At P2, it would have more than enough spare rations to admit of its waiting two whole days for the exploring cart, if were necessary to do so. It will be seen from the table that as six days' journey is the limit to which C can explore, so four days' journey is the limit for B 
and two days for A, but where abundance of provision is secured at P2 by means of a relief party, the explorers might well make an effort and travel on half rations to a greater distance than the limits here assigned. End of chapter 34 Recording by Elaine Webb, Bristol, England